days. From 1934 to 1963, it was a federal prison, and it housed some of the worst criminals in U.S. history. It's 12 acres of barren rock. It sits just off the coast of California, just out from San Francisco, about a mile and a half out into the bay. It's a notorious place. It's a bad place. But I want to tell you about a place tonight that is worse than Alcatraz. Far worse, infinitely worse than Alcatraz ever thought to be. A place called hell. I know that we don't really like to think about hell, and I understand why we don't like to think about it. I understand that it's not one of those subjects that we preach a lot anymore. But someone said if there was more hell in the pulpit, there might be less hell in the pew. And I think that's probably true. There's a time and place for talking about it. There's a need for talking about it. So tonight, as we talk plainly, we're going to talk about hell. You know, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ talked about hell. In fact, He talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And so, hell is a subject that Jesus felt necessary. And He addressed it. I heard a story about a preacher named Vance Havener. He's a denominational preacher but a well-known denominational preacher. And he was preaching in a little country congregation. One Sunday evening, he preached on hell. And there was a man that came out after the services, and he wasn't too excited with the subject that night. And so he said, Vance, I wish you would preach on the loving Jesus. And Vance said, where do you think I got my information about hell? We get our information about hell from the loving Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that we've been talking about a lot this week, a sermon when people heard him, they were astonished at his teaching. Because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. He wasn't wishy-washy in what he said. He wasn't quoting this scribe or that scribe. He simply said, this is it. You have heard, but I say. And we've heard a lot of things about hell, but tonight we're going to consider what Jesus had to say about it. Because He wants us to avoid going to that place. He did everything within His power. He went to Calvary to keep us from going to hell. He rose from the grave to keep us from going to hell. He's coming back because He doesn't want us to go to hell. He's done everything He can to prevent our going to that place. And so tonight, we want to study that place, a place that is worse than Alcatraz. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus said that the man who is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And the man who says to his brother, Raka, will be in danger of the council. And the man who says to his brother, thou fool, will be in danger of hell fire. Now, if hell does not exist, then I don't know how you explain the statement of our Lord. Because our Lord said that a man could be in danger of hellfire. That suggests to me that that place has to exist, that that fire has to be real. Jesus wasn't making an idle threat. Jesus wasn't talking about a place that didn't exist. He was talking about a very real place, a very real fire, and a very real danger that we face in our lives. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29, he's warning about lust. He's warning about a man not looking on a woman to lust after her. And then in the next verse, he says, 
That it's better that you pull out your right eye if it offends you and you cast it aside lest that for that one member of the body to perish than it is for the whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus was serious about the danger and the threat of hell and of us doing everything within our power to avoid going to that place. We need to control our tempers. We need to control our eyes. We need to control every part of aspect of our lives that we don't lose our soul because we lose control and because we don't have the self-control to do the right thing within our lives. In Matthew 10 and verse 28, he would say, Fear not him that can destroy the body, but not the soul, but rather fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. You better fear the one who has the power not only to kill you physically, but has the power to destroy you eternally. That's the one you ought to fear. We, we fear terrorism. We fear church shooters. We fear all these things. And I understand those fears. Those fears are minimal. In comparison to the fear we're talking about tonight, an eternal fear, a fear of going to the wrong place and there being no point of escape from that place, a place worse than Alcatraz. You know, God did not prepare hell for us. The Bible says, Matthew 25, 41, that it was prepared for the devil and for his angel. But if the devil is our father, we'll go there. If the devil is our master and we're his servants, we'll go there. If we make the choice, we'll go there. God didn't prepare it for us. God does not want us to perish. God wants all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. That's what God's desire for us is. That's why he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But if you have in mind... And if you are determined to go to that place, God will allow you to make that choice. God will allow you to go if that's where you want to go. But he's done everything within his power to keep you from going. A place worse. First of all, hell is a place worse than Alcatraz because of the population. of that. The Bible tells us about those that will be in hell. But I want to give you a little history about those that were at Alcatraz. The most notorious in U.S. history were housed in that prison. Al Capone there, Scarface there. He was so feared in his day that when they were taking him to Alcatraz, they were so concerned with someone trying to break him out of custody and get him to keep him from going to Alcatraz that they loaded him on a three-car train. And then they carried the whole train over to Alcatraz. They did not allow him to leave that train car until he was safely on that barren rock to make sure that no one could help him escape. That's how fearful he was. That's how much damage and harm he had done. There was another guy that was there, George Machine Gun Kelly. He was known for using a machine gun to simply mow people down. Had no care for human life. There was another guy that was there whose name was Alvin Creepy Carperwitz. He was creepy. He had a creepy smile. He was the hitman for the Barker gang. He was public enemy number one. He spent the most time of anybody at Alcatraz. He spent 25 years there. And when he killed somebody, he flashed a creepy. That's how he got his nickname. Those are the kind of people that were there. That was the population of that place. Now, only about 1% of the whole U.S. prison population was ever at Alcatraz. 
very small amount of people ever there. The, the total capacity at any given time at Alcatraz was 336. Most of the time, it's between 260 and 275 people. Only a few people were ever really there. 1,576 total prisoners at Alcatraz over its history. Not a lot of people were ever there. But the ones that were there, oh, they were rough. When we think about hell, the Bible gives us a glimpse there. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, the Bible says, But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, fornicators, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. There's going to be some rough people. There. Murderers are going to be there. Murderers are going to be there. I had the opportunity to tour a prison in West Virginia, Moundsville, West Virginia. It was a prison that at one time the prisoners took over that prison and they negotiated with the governor to get some changes. Very, very serious time in West Virginia's history. We had the opportunity to go through that prison and examine it. The, at one time the head of the Aryan nation was in that prison. And another prisoner killed him while he was there. They were rough people. They opened the cells doors and allowed us to look inside the cells and, and they showed us at the bottom of so many of those cell doors that there was a piece of metal that was missing in the shape of a blade. They would take comet and they would use that comet to gradually wear away a blade from the bottom of those prison doors. Then they would take that piece of metal and they would sharpen it on the concrete until they got it to where they could use it to stab and kill somebody, whether a guard or another prisoner. Those are the kind of people that live there. And if you were in there, that's the kind of people you were with. Imagine being in a place like that, a place filled with murderers. No regard for human life. Think about some others that are mentioned in that passage. What about the abominable? Abominable. I'm not talking about the abominable snowman. No, we're talking about real abominable people. People that do things that are just beyond bad. They do things that are an abomination to God, an abomination to man. You think about the worst of the worst being contained within that expression. You think about idolaters. You say, well, that's not such a bill. No, that one bothers me for a different reason. That one bothers me not because maybe they're the most violent people. Though you read the Old Testament, they were violent. The nations that were idolaters, they were among the most violent people in the Old Testament. The Assyrians, they left a, a pyramid of human skulls outside of the cities that they conquered. They wanted people to know, you better surrender because if you don't, this is what will happen to you when we do get inside. They were violent people. God said Nineveh was a bloody city. They were full of murderers. That's the way God described them. Violent people, but idolaters. You know, the reason why that bothers me so much is because that is a particular that threatens the very heart and soul of our nation. Now we think about the rest of the world as idolaters. We think about them carving out a god of wood or stone or, or some kind of metal and setting that up and worshiping that. I heard about a missionary who was overseas somewhere. He went into a house and sure enough in the house they had an idol set up on a shelf. And in, in that room, they had every chair pointed in the direction of that idol so they could focus on that idol and they could worship that idol and praise that idol. And he just thought, how ignorant, how foolish that they make this idol and then they worship it. He said he came home, walked into his own house, walked into his own living room. He looked over there on the wall and there was a big screen television. 
And he looked down and every chair in the room was pointed at that TV hanging over there on the wall. And he thought, how ignorant and how foolish. Oh, it's an electronic God. Oh, it, it's a fancier God maybe than what they have the money to have. But it's still a God. It still takes their time. It still takes their money. It still takes their focus. They still direct their whole lives toward it. They even have a show on an American Idol, right? Why? Because people imitate Hollywood. They follow after these professional athletes. They want to be like all of these music stars and movie stars. Those, those are their gods. Oh, it's a danger. It's trying to be like our world. We live in an affluent nation. And it's so easy to make that affluence our God. And to put more emphasis on material things than we do on spiritual things to become more like the world than we ever would admit that we are. The Bible says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but that we are to be transformed from this world. Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I tell you where most Christians are. Most Christians are in between those two things. They're not conformed to the world, and they're certainly not transformed from the world. They are simply reformed. You know what reformed is? Cleaning up the act just a little bit. They clean up the language just a little bit. They clean up the dress just a little bit. They clean up the activities just a little bit. But they still are not transformed from the world. They simply cleaned it up a little bit. Well, cleaning it up a little bit isn't what Jesus said. It isn't what Paul said. Paul said you're supposed to be different from the world, not just a little bit better than the world. We are a peculiar people. We're supposed to be showing forth His praises, but we become too much like the world. Revelation 21 and verse 8, there's some others in that passage that scare me. The, the fearful, that's scary. You ever been fearful? You ever been afraid to stand up? Afraid to speak up? Afraid to let other people know you were a Christian? Afraid to let other people know where you stood on some moral matter? Afraid to let other people know where you stood on life and marriage and those kinds of things? You remember the one talent man? He went and dug a hole in the earth. He put the talent in that hole. And what did he say? He said, I, I was afraid. I was afraid. Jesus said, you were wicked. Let's say you were afraid, but let's add wicked and lazy to that description because you were those things as well. You know, when we're fearful, we won't stand up for what's right. We're more than just fearful. That, that's laziness. You're either... For him or you're against him. You're either with him or you're with the world. There's no in-between. We like to live in that in-between area. No, that's not, that's not possible. Fearful, unbelieving. You know, how, how much faith do I have? How much faith do you have? Do I have enough faith to do what God tells me? Do I have the faith of Abraham who left home not knowing where he was going? Do I have the faith of Daniel to pray when the king said no? Do I have the faith of... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not to bow down though the king commands it? Do I have the faith to say, you can kill me, but you can only destroy my body. You can't kill my soul. And I'm going to do what God tells me to do. We have that kind of faith. Because the unbelieving aren't going to go to heaven. What about Romans 1.32? Romans 1.32, Paul has listed a, a long list of those that God has given up because of their sinfulness. And then he says, not only are those individuals going to receive condemnation on the judgment day, but also those that take pleasure in those that do those. 
Most of us would never do those things. Most of us would say, no, not adultery. No, not fornication. No, not drunkenness. No, not those things. I'm not doing those kind of things. But we'll watch television shows full of it. Movies full of it. We'll read books full of it. We'll surf the internet and see it. We'll do all those kinds of things. And suddenly we think, well, you know, I don't have to be afraid of going to hell. Why not? You're taking pleasure in those that are going there. You're taking pleasure in those that are doing things that are sending them there. Why aren't you afraid of it? Why doesn't it stay on your mind? Why doesn't it make you afraid to think, I'm, I'm headed in that direction. I'm just following a few steps behind them. Still going that way. Fearful. You know, only a few ever went to Alcatraz. But the Bible says that the few, the many are going to Matthew 7, 13, and very different than Alcatraz and very different than the population there. But you know, Alcatraz was made up of those who didn't like authority and who would not submit to it. You know, they would be put in another prison and they would break out. That's a, that's a sure ticket to Alcatraz. You just get in another prison system and give them trouble, and guess what? We'll send you to Alcatraz. We'll send you over there. We'll break you from that. We'll teach you to respect authority. We'll teach you to submit. That's what they did. But you think about people in our world who won't submit. They're going to one day go to a place where they will. That's where they're going to be sent. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You better submit to God now because you will one day submit to God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how outspoken you are. One day you will submit. One day you will confess. God has given Jesus a name that is above every name so that everyone in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow to Him. Every tongue will confess Him to the glory of God. There will be no one one day who won't say Jesus Christ is the Son of God like He said He was. Everyone's going to confess that. Everyone's going to bow to that. You can bow to it now, serve Him as King of Kings, and one day He can say, well done, come live with me. Or you can say no, and one day He can say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. You better submit. Now, the Jews didn't submit. Paul said, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Paul says, they, they haven't submitted to God. I'm praying for them. I'm working to try to save them. But they're going to have to submit to God's righteousness. They're going to have to submit to God's plan if they want to go to heaven. They don't submit. They, if you don't submit, you want to go to heaven. You know, hell, we're, we're told that Jesus is coming back in flaming fire. And he's coming back in flaming fire on those who know not God and on those who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God, from the glory of his power. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. So you better know God. You better obey the gospel so that you're not separated from God eternal. So that you will not be caught up in that eternal fire that's coming down from heaven upon the wicked, those who don't know and obey God. One more thing about the population of Alcatraz. There were no women in Alcatraz. And I wish that I could say that there will be no women in hell. But I can't say that. 
because hell will not discriminate between male and female. Those who do not obey God, whether they be male or female, those who live wicked and ungodly lives, male or female, they're going to go to that place. God has prepared it as a righteous God. That will be your end if that's what you choose. But let me give you a second reason why hell is worse than Alcatraz, and that is because it is a more painful place. Alcatraz wasn't a place that any criminal hoped to go to. Uh, that was the last thing they wanted to hear, you're going to Alcatraz. Alcatraz was known for some... It was known for this. There was no fresh water on Alcatraz. They had to bring in every drop of water that they consumed. About a million gallons a week. That's ultimately why Alcatraz shut down. It was too costly to maintain that prison system because of all the water that you had to bring in. There was no fresh water there. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be in a place where there's no fresh water. It has to come from some other place because if that ever gets shut off, cut off, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, let me tell you what hell is. Hell is a place where all the water's been cut off. It's not coming. You remember in Luke chapter 16, the rich man, his first request when he lifted up his eyes in torment, he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water that he may come and cool my tongue. It didn't happen. You know, that rich man, he, he was used to having servants. And now he's commanding Abraham and wanting Abraham to tell Lazarus to go do something for him yet now. And Abraham said, not going to happen. Not going to get a drop of water. You ever thought about being so thirsty that a drop seeing it would matter? That rich man, he fared sumptuously every day. He had all he wanted to eat and drink. Now Lazarus, he was different. Lazarus was a beggar. Lazarus was fighting for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But now everything is different. Now it's the rich man who isn't fighting for the crumb. He's fighting for the drop. He wants just a drop of water. He's had glasses full of wine his whole life much as he wanted to drink. But now he just wants a drink. Now he thinks one drop would make a huge difference in his torment. He's not going to get one drop. Not one drop of water. And let me tell you something else about this. Alcatraz was a dark place. Cell block A, underneath it, were what was referred to as a dungeon. Doesn't sound very nice. Some were put into the dungeon. You may think about Joseph in Egypt, down in the dungeon. Not a good place. But then there was cell block D. That was the worst place of all. The last five cells on cell block D were known as the hole. The walls were painted black. There was virtually no light day nor night in those cells. And the worst of the worst got put into the hole. Now, Alcatraz itself is the rock. That's not good. Now you're on the rock and you've been placed in the hole. They're putting you as low as they can put you. You're not seeing the light of day. You're living in darkness. There literally is a hole in the floor. That's what you have. You don't have the amenities even the other prisoners have. You just have a hole in the floor. That's what you have. I'd never be tolerated, I suppose, in our day. But that's what Alcatraz was. And that's why I'm saying, you don't want to submit. You don't want to do what you're told to do. You can go to the hole. Let's see how long it takes you down there to decide you want to obey the rules. Dark, dark. But what does the Bible say about hell? Matthew 25 and verse 30 says, Cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Outer darkness. That's exoteros. Outer darkness. Now, if darkness is here, that's that darkness. 
Let's go as far this direction into darkness as we can reach. There's outer darkness. Now it's dark, dark, dark here. It is dark, 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 darker there. That's what we're talking about. So we're talking about you leave the city, you go into the country, you go into the woods, you go into a cave, and then you go down into a mining shaft until you get to the heart of the earth. That's darkness. That's what we're talking about. There was three hours of darkness on Calvary. You imagine when the sun went out for three hours, what they must have thought? We have crucified the one who claimed to be the Son of God. We saw him work miracles. We heard the lessons that he taught. What have we done? In Egypt, there were three days of darkness. Exodus 10 and verse 21 says, It was a thick darkness that could be felt. Have you ever seen a thick darkness? Reached out and grabbed you a big handful and said, that's some thick darkness there. You ever felt darkness? They felt darkness in Egypt. They worshipped Ra, the sun god. And the sun didn't come out for three days. The God of heaven was telling them, your God doesn't mean anything. I control everything. In fact, every one of the plagues was against one of their gods. God was saying, you need to quit worshiping the gods you're worshiping because they don't have any power next to me. But they kept on worshiping those gods. That's nothing in comparison to the darkness of hell. A darkness that never... We lose our minds when we're without power for 15... We're calling that number they give us, right? My power's off. If you haven't heard, if you don't know, there's some tree or something that's falling on the line. You need to get out here. My television show is on. My, I got stuff in my refrigerator. Uh, you got to get out here, right? I mean, that's the way we are. Fifteen minutes and we're in a panic. You imagine an eternity in darkness with the people that we've already talked about? I don't want to be in the light with those people. I certainly don't want to be in the darkness with them. But it also, when we look at the pain that's associated with that place... There's other things about Alcatraz that made it painful. They say that Alcatraz was cold year-round. In fact, Mark, Mark Twain said it was as cold in summertime as it was. It never warmed up. The wind just swept across that rock. First of all, it's a barren rock. Then you got metal bars. And then you got concrete floors and walls and stainless sinks. Everything about it's cold. Never warmed up. Well, hell is different in the sense that it's not about cold. It's about heat. It's hot. It's called a furnace of fire. It's called a lake of fire. The rich man lifted up his eyes in torment. He's tormented in the flame. That's the way it's described. I really had no concept of what this would have meant to those in Bible time until I traveled overseas. And I traveled to Nicaragua and I looked over into an active volcano. You can go by at night, look over and you can see the sky glowing orange. It gets your attention. And then in the daytime, you can go look down in it and it just seems to go down forever. The sides of it are all black. There's smoke rising out of it and you can see the orange glow at the bottom. And they have a warning, by the way, park with your car facing out. You know the reason they tell you that? If that thing starts to go off, you better get out of there because it's going to be throwing some stuff up. And you, you don't want to be trying to back up. You want to be pulling out, right? So these people who park so they can pull out of a parking space, 
They're ready for the volcano. Everybody else is in trouble. But you look down in that and you think. Revelation 14 and verse 11 talks about a bottomless pit. Talks about their torment and smoke rising forever. Revelation 21 through 3 talks about a bottomless pit, a lake of fire. That's a volcano. That's a volcano. I mean, that's the imagery at least of what we're talking about. I don't want anything to do. You know, if a volcano poured in this room tonight, it's just going to burn its way out. I do. I mean, eventually it'll cool. Hell's never going to cool down. But if you get in the way of the lava flow, guess what? The lava just removes you. You're just not there anymore. Well, hell is a place where there's fire, and yet the torment never ends. It never goes away of that place. But there's got to be some other pain associated with hell that our mortal bodies and our minds today can't even fully comprehend. Luke 16, Jesus pulls back the veil. He allows us to see some things. that I just don't believe that's a parable. But you know, parables were based on true things. They were based on things that could and did happen. But I just don't think that's a parable. First of all, Luke and Jesus don't call it a parable. Luke does that with other stories that he tells. And Jesus does that with other stories that he tells. But not this one. This one contains names of people. Abraham, Lazarus. Other parables don't contain those proper names. It just doesn't fit the bill. I think Jesus is allowing us to see into what that's going to be like. You ever thought about the torment of that? You ever thought about the torment? First of all, the rich man sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He sees where he could have been had he made different choices in his life. He sees Lazarus at rest. He evidently sees Lazarus in a condition he's never seen Lazarus in. He had to be carried to the rich man's gate every day, but now Lazarus is capable and able to go fetch water, but he isn't going to. Have you ever thought about the torment of looking out of the condition that the rich man is in and seeing someone at perfect rest and peace? Oh, that adds to your torment. If I'm working and somebody else is leaning back in a lazy boy, that makes my work a lot harder, right? That makes the, the heat, the sweat, everything a little bit worse because he's at rest and I'm working. Well, that's the rich man that he's in. But I, I'll tell you maybe the thing that makes it the worst of all, and that is remembrance. Abraham, the first thing, son, remember that you in your lifetime had things and Lazarus in your lifetime had evil things. Now he's comforted in your torment. The rich man has to remember. He has to remember all the things he had in life, all the things he would never have again, all the things he could have had and could have done and he didn't do, even his brothers that he could have talked to and could have had an influence on their lives to keep them from coming to this place, but he never did that. The mercy that he could have shown on Lazarus that he never showed on him, he has remembrance of all of that. You know, pain, a part of the pain of hell is going to be that our memories are not erased. You may very well remember the night that we're spending together right now and the sermon that we studied our way through and the invitation that was offered and the opportunity you had to change, to obey the gospel, to do that which would have altered your course. And you'll have the remembrance of not doing that, that at the end of the sermon. But the final thing I want you to do as far as why hell is going to be worse than Alcatraz is because of the permanence of that. You know, Alcatraz must have seemed like a final destination. The, the cells were nine feet long, five feet wide. You could almost touch the walls. Some could. And they were only seven feet 
They were individual cells. They were so dangerous, they didn't put them in cells together. But this is a, that's a small cell. You're locked in there for much of your time. And then, when you are out of the cell, you have little, if any, chance of escape. There were 36 that tried to escape from Alcatraz. Three of them were caught almost immediately. Six of them were shot. Five of them are believed to have drowned. Two of them we know drowned. Uh, they didn't get away. No. In fact, the, the guy that came the closest to get, getting away, was known, his name was John Paul Scott. He, he covered himself with lard, and he got himself so slippery that he could squeeze between some bars. And he got out, and he actually swam the mile and a half to the coast of San Francisco. Climbed out on a rock just beneath the Golden Gate Bridge. He was exhausted. He was freezing. And they caught him and took him back. You know, the prisoners at Alcatraz, they prided themselves in one thing that no other prison system had. They got hot showers at Alcatraz. No other prisoners anywhere got hot showers. They got hot showers. They thought, yay us. There's a reason why they were giving them hot showers. Because that water in San Francisco Bay is cold. You get used to that hot water and you get in that cold water and you're not going anywhere. And that's exactly what happened to him. And they brought him back and he remained there. Six to eight years was the average time that an inmate would stand at Alcatraz, the longest creepy carpowitz. I wish that I could tell you that if you end up in hell, that there would be an end at some point. That six years in, seven years in, eight years in, you would get transferred out, you would go somewhere else. I don't know that you could bear it, even if I told you that. I don't know if that was your sentence, even if you... I don't know that you could bear it for an hour. I don't know if you could bear it for a day. I, I, the one I'm reading about hell is not something we don't want. We don't want to endure it for any length of time. But one of the worst things about hell is there's no end. There's no day you can mark off on a calendar. There's no time you can count down. Th that's not happening. It's eternal. The Bible says it's eternal. The rich man was told there's a great gulf that is fixed. Lazarus can't cross over to you and you can't cross over to him because there's this great gulf that separates you and you're never going to cross that gulf. Now in life there was a gate that separated the rich man and Lazarus. He lived in a gated community. He could keep Lazarus out. But now he's on the other side, not of the gate, but of the gulf. And he's never crossing over to the other side. The Bible says it is eternal, eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 46 says, These shall go away into life everlasting, but these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The same words are used there for life and for, for heaven and for hell. Eternal punishment, eternal life. I had a young man come into the back of the auditorium when been away to one of the Christian colleges. He came, he came to services and he said, I want to ask you a question.